0: But what Newton discovered, I suppose, is what people had known for millennia, that there is a downward gravitational pull on everything in this world. And chances are, you've felt the effect of gravity in your own life. So um, every day, everyone shrinks, about one centimetre. So this morning, when you've woken up, let's say you're five foot nine and a half uh, inches, by the time you go to bed tonight, you're going to be five foot nine, You're gonna have dropped half an inch. For some of you, that's not a big deal, but for some of you, that's quite a big deal, you know? You're just getting closer and closer. And, and you know, the deal is when you are asleep, obviously, you're horizontal normally, so your spine stretches out. And then during the day, as you're walking around, it compresses because gravity is pulling down on your spine. And so, over time, this has a cumulative effect. And the older we get, the more likely we are to shrink. So over the decades, uh, people will gradually lose more and more. Apparently, if you're over 40, which a number of you are, then you're going to be losing 10 millimeters every 10 years. That's quite a bit. (laughs) Has it worked for you, Russell? Maybe you're going to live to 150, I don't know. (laughs) The thing about gravity is it is always at work, is it always pulling and, and making us physically shorter as we age, most of us, uh, it's something that you just can't turn off. And I wonder if, I wonder if that principle is true emotionally and spiritually as well. Because there's things that happen which have just a downward gravitational pull in our lives. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's disappointment or despair. You know, there's forces at work which we can't turn off. They are pulling us down. And this morning, I don't know what your situation is, but if you are struggling to cope, if you are feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on, maybe it's with you, maybe it's with your spouse, with your kids, at work, at home, with your friends, with your parents, I don't know what it is, but if there is something going on, and, and if we're honest, if we can take a step back, there's been a lot of pressure in the last few weeks, in the last few months, for many people. There's been some tough places that people have been in, and perhaps you're not sure where to go or what to do. You're not even sure if you're going to make it through. So this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear this, that God loves you and He wants to lift you up with all these physical and emotional and spiritual forces trying to pull us down, with the stresses and the strains and the worries and all that downward gravitational pull on our lives, God wants to lift you up. And so the next four weeks we're going to be uh, tracking through a series called Lift. It's just a a very simple journey to kind of realign ourselves with uh, God, to be restored and be refreshed by His power in our lives. And so this morning I want to challenge you this, very simply, to lift your eyes and see the goodness of God. So I'm going to be tracking through uh, in the Bible what's known as Psalm 121. And um, the book of Psalms in the Bible, it's it's a collection of 150 ancient songs, ancient poems, and number 121 is uh, with a group of Psalms called or known as the Songs of Ascent. And so while you're finding it, let me give you a little bit of background info to the Songs of Ascent. In ancient times, the Jewish people uh, celebrated a number of festivals. And three of those festivals happened in the city of Jerusalem. Now, some of you may have been to Jerusalem. And if you have, you'll know that geographically, Jerusalem's quite a high city. So Jerusalem sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. Just to kind of put that into perspective... Alexandra is at 600 feet above sea level. So if Jerusalem was you know, around here, it would be built about halfway up the old man, the, the Kopawai Range. That's how high Jerusalem is in comparison to where we sit. It's a very high city. So you can imagine that three times a year, uh, these festivals are happening, the people are traveling to the city, and they're coming from all over Jerusalem, and they're literally going up to Jerusalem. And so as they're walking these dusty roads, they would sing these songs of ascent. They would sing these songs to remind them of God's faithfulness. And and practically, physically, as they approached the city, they would look up. They would lift up their eyes to the city. And in that moment, they would change their viewpoint. They would adjust their perspective to remember God's goodness. So if you are just struggling to lift your head this morning. Know that God is only asking you to lift your eyes, to see Him before you see all your stresses. Anyway, let's start reading Psalm 121. I'm just going to skim through it and um, point out perhaps some, some areas of interest. This is what the ancient songwriter writes. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now you put yourself in the sandals of those pilgrims for a minute. And as they get closer to Jerusalem, they're approaching what's known as the Judean hills. And I think the, the songwriter kind of does a little bit of poetic license here, you know. They're certainly not mountains. They're not the southern Alps the barren the rocky it's just really really unforgiving territory in fact in ancient times traveling on foot was not only difficult but actually quite dangerous so perhaps these pilgrims were looking up at this rugged climb that they'd have to get to the city perhaps they were concerned for their safety i mean the paths were steep the paths were narrow there was a lot of hiding places for wild animals or for robbers or All that sort of stuff. And so naturally, these pilgrims, as they're singing the song, the first line of this Psalm 121, they look to God for their safety and for their security. Where do you look for your safety and security? Is it the government? Is it your job or your boss? Is it your bank account? Is it your family or or some friends? Is it insurances or investment, your investment portfolio? Is it your own personal health and your your level of fitness? I mean, all those things can be real blessings, but when life takes a turn, when plans change or relationships break down, when tension at work or when the kids go off the rails or, or, or a loved one dies, often the threads of those security blankets that we have begin to unravel. So where is your ultimate source of safety and security? Who do you turn to for help? Obviously, in the the lockdown the last few weeks, a number of parents have had to homeschool their children. And I was uh, talking to a parent recently, and and he just said how much he's realized that things have changed since he was at school. And uh, he had a teenage son who asked him for some help with his homework. You know, the parent was quite honoured to be included, uh, and he said that he would be glad to help. And so the boy said, well, that's good, because I need your credit card details to download an essay. (laughs) Turns out the son was unsuccessful in getting help that day. (laughs) But you know, when life throws you a curveball, who do you turn to for help? And the songwriter answers with a clear voice. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, this is what we've got to say. This is what we've got to say when life is pulling us down, when those gravitational forces are just working upon us, when we're struggling, when we're straining, when we're stressing, when we think we're not going to make it, we're not going to get through. We lift our eyes to see that our help comes from the Lord. Because, you know, if you look, if you look, at or for anything else other than God for help, ultimately you'll be disappointed. If you look to the government or your boss or your bank account or your family or your friends or your pastor, it is likely that they will let you down when you need them the most. It is only God who is unfailing and unfaltering. You can depend on him 100% of the time to give you what you need. He's probably not going to give you his credit card details but he will give you what you need. Another psalmist put it like this, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. You know, that's what the songwriter of 121 knew. He knew that truth. This is what he wrote next. He, that's God, will not let, your, let you stumble. He, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Now look, God is constantly awake. I mean, intellectually, that's something that we probably all know, right? God's everywhere. He sees everyone. He can do anything. So it's logical that he is always awake. But if you've ever traveled around the world and crossed time zones, you'll know that surreal feeling that you get when when you're busy. Maybe you're seeing the sights and sounds of Europe or America or Africa or something, and you know that back home in New Zealand, your friends and family, it's the middle of the night, and they're asleep. And so wherever you're at, people are about doing their daily business. They're working, they're shopping, they're traveling, they're eating, they're studying, they're praying, they're reading, they're counting on God, and back in New Zealand, everyone's asleep. And then when everyone in New Zealand wakes up, And they go about their daily business and they start working and shopping and traveling and praying and counting on God. Everybody in the other side of the world is asleep. And so at any moment in time, someone somewhere is counting on God every second of the day. Now, that's not like probably, uh, um, you know, rocket science news for you. But it is very, very good news if you're someone who can't sleep. If you're someone who's just lying there at night and your head's on the pillow and you're replaying those days' events over in your head and you know what that person did and what you should have said and how you're going to pay that bill and you know when will the pain stop and what are you gonna do when you have to write that email, all those things that just kind of run through on on your on your brain, those what ifs, those doubts, those fears, when you have a dark moment of the night, God is awake. In fact, it's almost as if God's saying, Hey, look. Just letting you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not slumbering. I'm awake. I'm available 24-7, and you can rest, because I don't rest. During World War II, the uh, German Air Force conducted a number of massive bombing raids on the city of London. It was known as the Battle of Britain. And it was just relentless. All day, uh, sorry, all nights, every night, they dropped thousands of bombs on the city. And uh, after one particular terrible attack, the people on a street in London, they began searching through the ruins for the dead and the injured. And it took them several hours to uh, account for everyone, but they managed to do it. They managed to find everyone except for one old lady called Mrs. Jones. And uh, the rescuers were searching everywhere, hunting for her, and eventually they found Mrs. Jones in her bedroom, asleep in her bed. And they were just amazed. They were like, Mrs. Jones, how can you sleep when there has just been bombs dropping all around? And I love her answer. She said this. She said, well, the Bible says that God doesn't slumber or sleep. So I figured there was no use both of us staying up. (laughs) I went to sleep and left it in God's hands. You know, God is always on the clock. He is always at work in his world, pursuing his plans and his purposes for his glory. And so when you are tossing and turning at night time, when you can't figure out what to do, when you can't figure out the way forward, you can lift your eyes and know that God has got it sorted. In fact, he's got it sorted even more than that. He's actually going to protect you through it. This is what the songwriter writes next. He said, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I I really don't want you to misinterpret this as saying Christians will never get sunburned, because I have, and it's sore. I don't know if you can get moonburned, but possibly if you can get moonburned, Christians could possibly get that too. But the truth is, God provides protection from the stress, from the worries that you're going through, and the and the songwriter represents it by saying, you know, anything that's happening during the day when the sun's out, and anything that's going on at nighttime when the moon's out, God's going to be protecting you and right involved in there. And I, I genuinely think that God protects us from circumstances and situations that we know about, but I think He also protects us from situations, from unseen stuff that we just have no idea what's going on. So the Apostle Paul warned the first Christians. This, he said this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Apostle Peter also summed it up. He said, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And I think God protects us on many occasions, from spiritual attacks which we are unaware of. Stuff that we can see, but also stuff that is unseen. In the unseen realms, God has got it under control. Now, the um, British pastor and preacher from the Victorian times, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, he said, You always need divine protection, and believer in Christ, you shall always have it. So, if your faith is in Jesus, then you can be confident that He's got your back. The stuff that you can see, the stuff that you can't see, God is working, He's protecting, He is watching, He is helping. And that's, that's how the, the message of the, that's how the songwriter sums up his psalm. These last couple of lines, this is what he writes The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Now, you need to know this is not a, it's not a magic formula, okay? God's not going to make your life a bed of roses where everything is just perfect. I mean, we, can, we know that from our own experiences. We know that the reality of this world is there are aspects of it that are broken. You know, in our screens, we, we see disease. We see drought. We see racism. We see violence. And in our own lives, we see and feel disappointment or loneliness or sickness or death. And so if you do manage to get some sleep, even with all that stuff going on, when you wake up, it might be just as bad as it was when you went to sleep. It might even be worse. But the difference is, when your eyes are lifted up, you can see where your help comes from. When you lift up your eyes, the circumstances don't automatically change. Cancer is not going to go away or the loved one's not just going to show up at the door, or our job's just not going to get reinstated, or our test scores aren't just going to magically improve. But when we lift up our eyes, our perspective changes. and We see God before we see our struggles, and we realize that God is watching over us. He's not sleeping while we're struggling. In fact, He is protecting, He is keeping us now and forever. Now, throughout human history, there's been some great stories about how God has uh, protected and kept His people. In the Bible, there's one story I want to draw your attention to. It um, involves a, Jeho- a Jewish king called Jehoshaphat. The story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. So I'm just kind of going to set the scene by reading the first couple of verses. This is <clears throat> what we read in Second Chronicles chapter 20. The armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Right. There's a little bit of a problem going on here. (coughs) I'm not sure if you can see it. (coughs) The problem is that there is not just one army coming against Jehoshaphat. I mean... Anybody can beat one army, right? uh, uh, If it's a fair fight, you know, one versus one, it's normally going to be pretty good. But this instance has three armies marching on the Jewish people. And so the odds are stacked. It's it's not a fair fight. Like if you're in the playground, if you're a kid, and I hope this hasn't happened to you, but it's, you know, you versus the bully, you've sort of got a 50-50 fair chance. But if it's you versus the bully, and the bully's brother, and the bully's cousin, then you're going to start reassessing your odds, aren't you? Unless you're Jackie Chan, which may or may not be you. So you can imagine that Jehoshaphat's not hugely excited about this prospect. This is what happens. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Very, very good thing to do when you've got three armies marching against you. So Jehoshaphat gathers the people together, he speaks to them, and he prays to God. And at the end of his prayer, this is what he says, God, we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do, know, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's okay to admit to God that you don't know what to do. But Jehoshaphat lifts his eyes. Now, what I find fascinating is if you read the story, you'll find that he doesn't go out and look at the armies. He looks to God. He lifts his eyes to the maker of heaven and earth, and he knows where his help comes from. And so in the story, you can read it later, God responds and he says, basically, I'm going to fight for you. This battle is mine. I have got it sorted. And so when that happens, you know what you need to do? You need to get the video camera out because it is going to be awesome. So Jehoshaphat is super relieved. He gets his army ready and heads to the battle. Now, really important thing to note, he's still doing some practical things here. He's still involved. He's not sitting on his hands and saying, okay, God, it's up to you. That's cool. You go for it. We'll just wait back at, uh, at home and have some grapes or something. He's like, no, we're going to get out there and we're going to trust that God will win this battle. And so with knowing that uh, God's going to fight for them, Jehoshaphat decides it's a really important idea to cheer God on. So this is what he does. He puts at the front of his army, he puts his most fierce soldiers. No, he doesn't. He puts a choir. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, I imagine, and this is just me in my head, but I imagine that when those three armies, when those enemies heard this singing coming down the valley, I imagine they were freaked out. You know, echoing down the valley, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. Do you think they'd be freaked out? Of course not! If I was going to put a choir in front of the army, I would be singing something like, you know, uh, God's going to pluck out your eyeballs and dislocate your kneecaps, and then we're going to come along and chop off your heads, praise, praise the name of the Lord. That's what I'd do. That would be a little bit more intense and perhaps a little bit more intimidating, but these guys are like, Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So anyway, Jehoshaphat, his soldiers and his singers, they get to the brow of the hill and they look over the hill and they see that those three armies are all dead. They've been completely wiped out. They have turned on each other as they have been singing and approaching. This is what when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they could see were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. You know, these armies were so vast that it took Jehoshaphat and his soldiers three days to go down the valley and collect all the plunder. That's a lot of people and a lot of stuff. And after they had done that, they celebrated their help and protection coming from God. They sung songs, and they praised God for what he had done. But do you know where it all started? It started when they lifted their eyes and when they looked up. I don't know, hopefully you don't have three armies bearing down on you at the moment, but chances are you've got some stresses, you've got some strains. Maybe it's work, home, school, family, friends, neighbours, whatever. Can I encourage you to lift up your eyes, to see that God is your helper, your watcher, your protector, and your keeper. And that He will never let you stumble, because He never sleeps. He is there day and night, watching, helping, keeping you as you come and go. And in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your anxiety and uncertainty and the pain and the suffering that you're wrestling with and the confusions and the questions that you have, God simply asks that you would lift your eyes to change your perspective, to refocus on Him. And when you refocus on God, He doesn't promise that He's going to take away all your troubles, but He promises to help, to watch, to protect, to keep, to walk beside you, to fight on your behalf so that in the end, You can sing with those Jewish soldiers, give thanks to the Lord. His unfailing love endures forever, so that in the end, you can lift your eyes and sing with the ancient songwriter, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth.